We are five days away from fundamentally transforming the United States of America. You know, this Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students. America first. You could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. Change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions. For too long, a small group in our nation's capital has reaped the rewards of government while the people have borne the cost. The racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic. Since January 6th, the Biden administration has launched the biggest and most technologically sophisticated manhunt in American history. They've described it as a shock and awe campaign against our own people. And our office wants to ensure that there was shock and awe that we could charge as many people as possible. Shock and awe. Sound familiar? It means that some of the same veterans who kicked in doors to find al-Qaeda terrorists are now having their doors kicked in by the same government that sent them to risk their lives in Iraq and Afghanistan. Facial recognition software, online sentiment analysis tools, old-fashioned snitching, all of the Orwellian methods employed by the surveillance state in the war on terror now used to track down and purge American war veterans, law enforcement officers, and any journalists who asked the wrong question. It took a decade for the federal government to find Osama bin Laden. They can find you a lot faster. They likely already have. According to reporting by The Intercept, the CIA is now funding 38 separate companies to identify and spy on social media posts whose opinions the Biden administration disagrees with. Once you're identified as a, quote, extremist, information about you winds up in a government database called Main Core. At this point, your life can change quickly. On April 28, 2021, federal agents launched a pre-dawn raid on the home of Paul and Marilyn Cooper in Homer, Alaska. That's a small coastal village over 200 miles from Anchorage. This is what happened next. Welcome to We the Deplorables podcast. I am your host, Sherry Wilson. This is a place for family, faith, and freedom. And we're going to continue our um, looking into our investigation into the January 6th event. We're really starting to dive into some of the the players, what's going on uh, behind the scenes, some of the weird stuff that uh, happened that day, like police just letting people in, the lack of a police department, um, you know, half sent home. I mean, there's just so many things. Uh, And my question is, how on earth did we get to this place? How did this happen? Let me get my microphone up here a little bit. Uh, How did this happen in the United States of America? And to understand some of what's going on, we need to go back to 9-11. And after we were attacked, uh, there was what was called the Patriot Act. And this was passed, and the purpose of the Patriot Act was to fight terrorists. And there were plenty of people that had concerns because most people 
believe, like I'm sure a lot of you who are my listeners, that anything you give to the government to do, they will, you know, misuse it or abuse it. One of the main, um, I guess you would say, opposers to this uh, Patriot Act was Senator Rand Paul. He repeatedly warned. He has stated repeated incidents where the Patriot, Patriot Act has been used to spy on its own citizens. And we know for a fact that American citizens that are conservatives, disfavored by the Biden administrations and Democrats, and real patriots are being t- targeted, spied upon, and pursued. Now, if you go to uh, the government website, the Patriot Act, the official title is the USA Patriot Act, and it's, quote, uniting and strengthening America by providing appropriate tools required to intercept and obstruct terrorism at Abstract Terrorism Act of 2001. Now, I'm not going to get into all of the law, but the purpose of it was to deter and punish terrorist acts in the United States and around the world. And then also, and here's where we're getting into trouble, to enhance law enforcement, investigatory tools, and other purposes, which include to strengthen U.S. measures to prevent, detect, and prosecute international money laundering and financing of terrorism, to subject a special, to special scrutiny foreign jurisdictions, foreign financial institutions, and classes of international transactions or types of accounts that are susceptible to criminal abuse, to require all appropriate elements of the financial service services industry to report potential money laundering, to strengthen measures to prevent use of the U.S. financial system for personal gain by corrupt foreign officials, and facilitate repatriation Patriation of stolen assets to the citizens of countries to whom such assets belong. So this Patriot Act opened the door for them to have more freedom to surveil and to trace and to spy in order to stop terrorist attacks like 9-11. But here's the thing. The word terrorist can be... um, reimagined like they've wanted to reimagine the police department and we've seen how well that's uh, been uh, implemented but it's if you the more power you give the federal government the more danger american citizens are in and then i was curious about the fisa court because i wanted to know uh, exactly its role in conjunction with the patriot act I was surprised to learn it was established in 1978 and it, quote, entertains applications submitted by the United States government for approval of electronic surveillance, physical search and other investigative actions for foreign intelligence purposes. So it's foreign intelligence purposes. Most of the court's work is conducted ex parte as required by statute and due to the need to protect classified national security information. So basically what that means is it's a secret court. And it would be horrifying to our founding fathers to know that we have a legalized secret court. Court proceedings are supposed to be public. And I understand the need to keep terrorist activity and what they're doing private, but is it at the expense of American freedoms? Now, this is the same court that was lied to by the FBI that got search warrants to surveil a presidential candidate, Donald Trump, to try to entrap him in the Russian hoax. And there's been plenty of evidence against Hillary Clinton and all the the people, Comey and all of them, 
that uh, this whole entire thing was to try to get uh, Donald Trump out of the race so that Hillary Clinton could win. So where you've got the Patriot Act and the FISA court that's supposed to be used against real terrorists and for a foreign surveillance, these same things are now being used to go after Trump supporters. Uh, let me play you uh, a section of a couple who were there January 6th. They did not go into the Capitol building. They were at the rally, which again was very peaceful. There was worship music. There was prayer. The president never said to riot. He never said to break any law, and he never said to go into the Capitol building. So let me pull up their experience. It is shocking, but I want you to see what's going on here. Uh, with tons of people hanging out, kind of wondering what's happening because there was no cell coverage. We were mentioning to some people like, hey, it looks like we missed the party. And they're like, oh no, you can go in. Just get in that line there, follow those people. See, they're, they're heading on in and they're just letting anybody who wants in. And I was like, that doesn't sound right. And sure enough, you can see kind of a line snaking up. There were no police stopping anybody at all. It was like an open invitation just to walk right into the Capitol. Didn't feel right. We chose not to. It felt totally like some kind of setup was being made. Their instincts were right. It was a setup. I had been hearing that the FBI had been contacting people who had been at D.C. and that people had been feeling threatened and interrogated by them. But I definitely was felt in threat of them hauling me away to somewhere in D.C. and me never coming out again. They wouldn't let us make a phone call. They refused to let me examine the warrant. And then the main agent who was questioning me, he said, we have footage of you all over the Capitol that day. And even inside Nancy Pelosi's office, they said, well, we're looking for Nancy Pelosi's laptop. We're here for Nancy Pelosi's laptop. Of course, she didn't have it because she never went inside the Capitol building. They had the wrong person. And then he showed me a photo, a distant fuzzy photo, profile of a woman in a hallway in the Capitol. And I was just like, is that who you think I am? Can we both see that this is two different people? He said, do you want me to put in my report that you lied to a federal agent and grabbed the paper and left? again and went back to searching. They took my laptop and then they took a little tiny copy of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. This is how the government sees you. Domestic violent extremism. They seize my copy of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. They seize that as evidence against me. What is that saying? Terrorism from white supremacy is the most lethal threat to the homeland today. If you've got a copy of those rights, you're considered to be an extreme radical today. We still may have charges coming down. Our house may be bugged. Not Al-Qaeda, white supremacists. I know a friend said there were a couple of FBI agents taping my husband at the coffee shop, recording his phone conversations, and they challenged him and told him to leave. So they just make up evidence or they make up cases. I mean, there's a history of that, especially with people who appear to be Trump supporters or with Trump himself. Trump tweeted once, they don't hate me, they hate you, I'm just in the way. Now, the real agenda of coming after the people is 
becoming more apparent. This is, you know, scary stuff. If it wasn't for Jesus Christ and faith in Him, but we cannot allow our country to begin to go against American citizens who have the Declaration of Independence, who have the Constitution in their home, who believe in the right to carry, to bear arms. I mean, this, guys, this kind of stuff, it started, and we have to stop it. And I'm not saying take up arms against our government. I'm just saying we have to start being more intentional in stewarding the government that God has given us. The system that was set up in America uh, was set up to where it requires the people to steward it. Uh, It's we the people first, the states next, and the federal government should have the least control and influence in our country. And it's still we the people. In fact, the Declaration of Independence says that the government's duty, the purpose of its existence is to secure our inalienable rights, which means these are rights that come from God. And so here you have people that go to a Trump rally and all of a sudden they're being spied upon. I mean, after it was clear that this lady does not look like, nor is she the lady in the picture, they're still threatening her with lying. They don't show her the search warrant. Those are all violations of the Constitution. You have a right to see the search warrant. That's how it's supposed to work. And so that makes you wonder, do they even have a search warrant? And uh, so I want to play another section. Let's see here. It is minute 23. So let me get there so you can hear this part. I was going to play it last episode on this, but I ran out of time. Oh, it is not number 23 on that one. Okay, here we go. I have some technical difficulties here. Let's see. Try again. Okay. Not sure what's going on. Hang on one second, guys. Aronson found that at least 50 defendants were on trial because of behavior that the FBI had not only encouraged but enabled. FBI agents were essentially the plotters in these crimes. They made the crimes crimes. You scarcely need to go back three months prior to the so-called Capitol Siege of 1-6 to an event that has now evaporated from memory and from the national consciousness. And that is the so-called Whitmer kidnapping plot. The alleged plan was to kidnap the governor and put her on trial for treason, all because of Michigan's COVID lockdown. The federal government thwarted an alleged plot to kidnap the governor of Michigan in a manner that included, shockingly enough, storming the state capitol. According to a report in BuzzFeed, Michigan State Police stood down and let protesters, including those in full tactical gear, enter the building unopposed. Why haven't you called for backup? Where is your backup? This is our damn capitol building, and y'all are letting it get destroyed on your watch! interesting parallel. Well, it gets even better. Twelve of the 18 conspirators were either FBI informants or undercover FBI agents. 
In other words, fully two-thirds of the people plotting to kidnap the governor of Michigan were working directly for the feds. That's quite a percentage. It gets even better. Many of the individuals involved in this plot have been associated with the very same militia group that the government has attempted to associate with 1-6. And if that isn't enough, I'll give you the cherry on top. Hello, I'm Stephen D'Antuono. The head of the Detroit field office of the FBI, who presumably oversaw all of those agents who would have been actively involved in inciting the Michigan kidnapping plot. Subsequent to that, he was quietly and suspiciously promoted to a high position within the DC field office, where he now oversees the investigation into 1-6. One thing that uh, was eye-opening was one of the episodes I watched of, um, I think it's Lara on, um, uh, let's see, is it Lara? Gosh, I don't remember her last name, but she has no agenda. Lara has no agenda. It's on Fox Nation. But she was talking about the very small world in D.C. and, you know, how easy it is to be demoted and to be ruined as far as your career by speaking the truth and how all these people, it's like incestuous. All these people know each other. Uh, they work together toward the common goal. And so it's very interesting how this one guy that was tied to the Michigan case is now investigating the January 6th and how all of that was very similar uh, to what happened. And, you know, the question that we've been examining is how did a peaceful protest of certifying the election end up like it did because the people were rallying because they felt the election was stolen. And so in spite of what the media tries to tell you, there is clear evidence of provocateurs and possible FBI agents and informants, as well as Antifa waving a false flag to incite violence and lawbreaking to attack patriots. So even if you don't, you don't believe what I've shared so far, there is one thing that I think we can all agree with, and that is how BLM riders and Antifa riders were treated during and after eight months of burning down cities, and how criminals, criminals in San Francisco, Chicago, New York, all these Democrat-controlled uh, cities, how different they are being treated compared to so-called insurrectionists on January 6th. It's vast and it's horrifyingly different and hypocritical. If you look at the people that were ran over in the parade in Wisconsin or Minnesota, I think it was Wisconsin, the guy was out on a $1,000 bail after he beat the crap out of his girlfriend and ran her over with a vehicle because of these crazy policies when it comes to criminals. And yet you have people that are being held in solitary uh, confinement who broke trespassing laws, misdemeanors. Why? Because they were wearing the wrong hat. Because they're on the wrong side. So we need to visit the incident that Darren Beatty is referring to uh, with Revolver News on the plot against the Michigan Governor, so I want to kind of break this down a little bit, and uh, let's see. Let me find it here. Okay. Uh, 
oh, it doesn't look like I opened that up. I've got so many links that sometimes I get confused. Okay, so this is from Gateway Pundit. And the headline of the article is, it was a setup. FBI used at least 12 informants in Whitmer kidnapping case with only six defendants. So six, there are six defendants, 12 FBI informants. And they're trying to say, nothing to see here, move along. Along. Well, in October 2020, the FBI announced during a press conference that it thwarted a plot by a so-called right-wing militia to kidnap and kill Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer and to overthrow the state government. The FBI became aware of the plot through discussions on social media in early 2020. However, they decided to pull the trigger in October right before the presidential election and raid the homes of six men. One of the men arrested in the plot was a Trump-hating anarchist, and another was a Black Lives Matter activist. But then-candidate Joe Biden and the media still blamed Trump, which uh, President Trump actually personally informed Governor Whitmer. It was previously reported that the ringleader in the plot to kidnap uh, Whitmer was an FBI informant. Now, ringleader, okay? So that means that the one that thought up the plot and was leading the plot was actually an FBI informant. Guys, that is entrapment, and it's illegal. He was planted into the group and was the one who pushed the entire plan. Now it turns out that the FBI used at least 12 informants in this kidnapping case. So basically, the entire plot was cooked up and executed by FBI informants, and a few sus suspecting patsies were dragged into the scheme. So BuzzFeed reported the government employed at least a dozen confidential informants to infiltrate groups of armed extremists who allegedly plotted to kidnap the governor of Michigan, according to a new filing in federal court on Monday. The filing made by one of the five defendants in the federal case asked that prosecutors be ordered to share more information about those informants, their relationship with the FBI, and the specific roles they played in building the case. It came among a blizzard of 15 new defense motions in a high-profile case, including requests to move it to a different district to suppress evidence from a search warrant and to try at least one defendant separately from the others. Taken together, the new court papers offered a glimpse of the evolving defense strategies in the case, with several attorneys saying that they planned to argue that the FBI induced or persuaded the men to go along with the scheme. The alleged plot to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer made international headlines last October when the Department of Justice announced it had charged six men in a kidnapping conspiracy. Five of the defendants, Barry Croft, Adam Fox, Daniel Harris, Caleb Franks, and Brandon Caserta, have all pleaded not guilty and have been held without bail since their arrest. A sixth, Ty Garbin, pled guilty and agreed to cooperate in the case in January. Eight other men were charged under Michigan's anti-terrorism statutes for providing material support to the plotters. Half of the defendants were in the combined cases were members of a militant group known as Wolver Wolverine Watchmen, which was associated with the Three Percenters extremist movement. All but two are from the state of Michigan. Okay, now, here's the deal, and I'm going to play some more uh, um, videos and reporting on this case. The reason this is important is the idea of FBI informants infiltrating this group, the ringleader being an FBI informant, to then incite people to commit a crime. That is a legal definition of entrapment. Now, 
let me get this video started of some more reporting on this. Um, this guy, uh, hopefully Tucker will say his name, but he's been diving into both this and January 6th. He's a great reporter. Oh, it's Glenn Greenwald. He's a great reporter, and he's a serious reporter. He actually does his job. Or that most of the people involved in that famous plot right before the election to kidnap the governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, were in fact working for the FBI. You've covered a lot of these stories over the years. Were you surprised by that? Most of them were working for the FBI. You know, I think that as Americans, we are trained, and I know I, even after all, all the reporting I've done, to kind of reflexively disbelieve that the FBI could do something like yes, involve yes. itself in a plot exactly. and then either encourage it or allow We all have that kind of, you know, that wouldn't have happened. But what I'm telling you is I spent a decade during the first war on terror, this is the second war on terror, reporting in one case after the next where the FBI would say, we caught four young Muslims plotting to blow up a bridge. And in almost every case, it turned out that these four young Muslims were not very smart, were emotionally unstable, were financially vulnerable. And the only plot that was created was one that was created by the FBI that brought it to them and then used their know-how of psychological manipulation to lure them into it. The informants who were paid would do everything possible to get them to agree to it. And then the FBI would announce, oh, we found this plot that was actually the FBI's right. plot in the first place. So the only unanswered question that that committee should be asking instead of in between all the sobbing and weeping and stuff, is what role did the FBI have in terms of being embedded in the three groups they claim plotted this attack on the Capitol? And did they purposely allow it to go forward? Because as the FBI has admitted, we need the citizenry in fear in order to increase our budget, in order to increase our surveillance authorities. And the one relevant question about January 6th that hasn't been answered is the one that the media and the Congress has declared off limits to ask. Boy, they hate it. And in fact, Republican members of Congress were given instructions by their leaders not to push the FBI on this, which is just mind-blowing. But we should push. I think we should. And thank you for doing it. Glenn Greenwald of Substack. Great to see you. Hey, Sean Hannity here. Hey, click here to subscribe. Okay. And then, so again, we've got the FBI basically starting and inciting people to commit crimes. Now, here's another part I want to play same guy uh, Glenn Greenwald because new details are emerging about the FBI's involvement in this plot remember last year to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer so the group accused of the plot claims the FBI orchestrated every aspect of the plan and BuzzFeed has this article out at least 12 confidential FBI informants 12 assisted in this investigation into this extremist group and some acting under the direction of the FBI. They took leading roles in the scheme. This Iraq war veteran, he was an informant, and he became so deeply enmeshed in this Michigan militant group that he, he became second in command there. And this longtime government informant from Wisconsin actually paid for the hotel rooms and, and for dinners just to get people to join this alleged plot. And this undercover FBI agent known as Red, he advised this militia group where to place the explosives, which they said were fake. And then there's this, the lead FBI special agent, this Richard Trask figure. He was the public face of this Whitmer case. Now, he was just arrested 
after being accused of jumping on his wife in bed and smashing her head against the wall. And this was over a dispute stemming from a swingers party. Quality people. So, Glenn, the people that are accused of this kidnap plot are claiming they were entrapped. Um, obviously, that's what they're going to claim. Anybody would claim that in a situation like this. But BuzzFeed's reporting that there's like twice as many FBI agents involved in this plot than there were plotters. Does this raise any suspicions with you? It raises a lot, and I'll tell you why. I, I regard what the Biden administration is currently doing as the second war on terror, but this one is focused domestically at American citizens instead of at foreign organizations. But the tactics being used are very similar to the ones used in the first war on terror. And I reported, Jesse, I don't know, on a dozen cases or so, very similar as part of the first war on terror, where the FBI would boast in this flamboyant way that they had broken up some dangerous plot being uh, formulated and about to be implemented by American Muslims. And every time you looked, every time, it turned out that the people who designed the plot, who came up with the idea of where to attack, who funded the operation were FBI informants or FBI agents. They were embedded all the time in these plots, not just in a way that they learned about them and then infiltrated, but that they actually manufactured and orchestrated them. And the question for me was always, if it's really such a grave threat, this threat of domestic Muslim terrorism, why does the FBI keep having to create its own plots? Why aren't they finding ones that they themselves aren't orchestrating? And that's the same question that I have here, if it's true that, as they're now saying, that anti-government right-wing groups or domestic extremist groups are the greatest threat to national security, which is what Biden and the intelligence community are saying, greater than ISIS or Al-Qaeda or anyone else or China or Russia, why do they need to go and manufacture a plot and put in people's heads the idea, let's go kidnap Governor Whitmer? There should be tons of plots that they should be detecting. And... That's what leads to then the question that people on your network, Darren Beatty at Revolver News and others have asked to the horror of, of, of the liberal sector of the corporate media, which is, well, what did the FBI know about the planning of the January 6th attack? How embedded were they in these groups? Because what happens is when these kinds of attacks happen, the FBI and the security state seizes on them to say, do you see? There's these right. grave dangers. We need more money. We need more power. We need some more, more surveillance right. authorities in order to keep you safe. And so if they're the ones driving it, right. it leads to the question of what those motives are. Right. Is it about the headlines or are they actually disrupting real and imminent plots. Now, real quick, I just want to play you the confrontation between Senator Rand Paul and Dr. Anthony Fauci. Okay, so again, we're seeing the FBI's hands all over January 6th. And uh, I'm not going to be able to get probably through all of my material uh, because I, I know I'm playing a lot of audio for you guys, but I think it's important to... Play the, the, the people that have been investigating this, that have seen this over and over and over happening. And so one of the things that he was saying is that when you look at a lot of the uh, FBI raids where they arrested, you know, um, actual terrorists, um, you know, people that are with Al-Qaeda, ISIS, etc., what he's saying is 
is that they actually infiltrated these groups in our country with FBI agents and informants that then actually instigated the terrorist idea and plot. They then arrested the people uh, involved, which they may or may not have instigated, you know, eventually would have instigated a terrorist plot, uh, terrorist, terrorist plot on their own. But they um, didn't wait for that. They actually instigated within these groups and then arrested these people. Like, look, look, see, we're doing our job. You still need us. You still need us for, um, you know, to foil terrorist plots. And that they're using the Patriot Act. They're using the FISA court. And uh, so uh, this clip, um, it's a final uh, clip before we move on to the January 6th. But I want you to listen to this because, again, both the Whitmer and the January 6th are the same operations. The January 6th was just a more massive one. Now, I got to stop here and I got to tell you, I am not a conspiracy theorist. I have spent weeks researching this and don't even try to research it on Google or Yahoo or anything like that. You won't find anything. You have to go to actual news sites and actual real reporting. And it's sad. It's sad that you have to go to these places and you can't get all of the story. But you have to understand, money drives the media. The media, especially the left-wing media, is a propaganda machine for the elitists, the globalists, and uh, a lot of them are Democrats. And you've got some in the Democrat Party that they know exactly what they're doing. You have some that are useful idiots. But then you also have, and these are the worst kind of betrayers, and that's the Republicans or the rhinos that are being paid by people like China and big tech and big corp. And that's why they're not doing anything about what all is going on. Liz Cheney is not a true Republican. She is not a true conservative. Actually, she may be more true than we realize. But what I'm saying is these people hated Donald Trump because he was not part of their, quote, secret society, like Newt Gingrich said at the beginning of President Trump running. They're, he's not part of the global elitists. And anyone who supports him are now suspect and they're now enemies of this country, according to these people. So I'm going to play this clip. This is uh, Darren Beatty of Revolver News, which I read his article in depth. They have tons of uh, video clips. They have tons of pictures that support everything uh, that he says. But uh, I want you to hear this in his own words. Darren, uh, you had a great piece the other day. Your whole theory, is this a failure of intelligence or a failed intelligence operation? Darren Beatty, the floor is yours, sir. Great. Well, thanks for having me again. And I think it's critical on this January 6th issue. The narrative is out there, precisely the narrative that the feds don't want. That's out there. The information is out there. We've been putting out the information that really exposes uh, the lies behind the narrative. Now what we need to do more than anything is keep on the pressure, because what they're relying on is for this to just drizzle out, people to forget, and then they'll move on to the next thing. And so this piece is really hot, I think amplifies the pressure uh, by an order of magnitude. As I was uh, discussing last time I was on the show, the uh, story here is the peculiar arrest of this Green Beret, uh, Jeremy Brown, who's an Oath Keeper Green Beret. He was arrested for trespassing. 
Now, uh, before I get into why that's peculiar, I want to just point out something that I think everyone should know. It's like, what's the deal with these trespassing charges? Well, technically, you could be trespassing on the grounds of the Capitol without even going into the Capitol. And in fact, without even knowing you're trespassing, because you, if you go to revolver.news and read, and read this piece, we have among many, many special clips that no one's ever seen, we have a clip people cutting the fences, cutting the barriers. So if the barriers are cut well before all the people went to the Capitol after Trump's speech, they don't even know where the barriers are and they could be standing around in technically restricted zone and it's up to the government's discretion as to whether they want to prosecute you. And that's where it gets interesting with this Green Beret Oath Keeper guy because usually when there are new charges at this stage, eight, nine months into it, there are new charges because there's new evidence. What's interesting here is, and in fact very peculiar, is that there's no new evidence at all. In fact, we know from a careful reading of the uh, charging complaint, which Revolver engages in, and uh, that's part of why we're able to break these stories, we carefully looked at the complaint, we discovered something very weird. And that is the government knew about Jeremy Brown's presence in the restricted zone since January 6th. They in fact called him the evening of January 6th, and according to the complaint, he said, yeah, I was there. And so they knew this was technically illegal, and yet why would they wait eight months in order to give him the full SWAT treatment, arrest him for something so trivial as trespassing? And so the fact that they even called him to begin with is a bizarre thing, and it indicates that basically they're tracking him and probably a lot of the Florida Oath Keepers uh, from very early on. And as, as you know, as your listeners know from the great reporting at uh, Gateway Pundit, this individual who was arrested, he was actually approached by, uh, allegedly, by elements of the Joint Terrorist Task Force and other groups who wanted him to become an informant. And he said no to his credit, and that may be part of the reason they're going after him this late in the game. But... What we know from that is that part of the hold it part of the reason there's no conspiracies, but there's no coincidence. It is the reason. It's the reason. There's a reason I say part of the reason, and that is that if it were simply an issue of a vendetta against him, they could have done this a lot earlier. The question is why wait to this point? And it gets to kind of a strategic consideration that I discussed earlier is that. I think there's a strong possibility that they want to normalize the idea of going after people for trivial trespassing offenses this late in the game because they might use a trivial trespassing type offense to provide cover for person one Stuart Rhodes to give him a wrist slap charge and basically give the other people the conspiracy charge, give him a wrist slap charge which will kind of cordon him off so he can't be called um, uh, to testify on. Now, Stuart Rhodes is an important uh, player in this story that we're going to get into in later episodes. Half of the defendants in the main uh, criminal conspiracy case against the other Oath Keepers. And that's actually an interesting thing that's happened to informants in many other cases. In fact, one kind of 
uh, uh, structural feature of how we've covered 1-6 is we've always looked to this astonishing issue in the Michigan kidnapping plot. Well, there's yet another very interesting parallel here, which is that one of the key informants in the Michigan plot, which as we now know is just littered with informants, one of the key informants, they actually ended up arresting him. They ended up arresting him on a separate charge, which effectively served as a gag order such that he wasn't able to testify for the defendants and because they cordoned him off. He, he was facing other charges. He didn't want to incriminate himself. He was wrapped up. And so there are actually many cases, we discuss this in the article, in which they slap sort of separate charges on their informants for, one, to keep them quiet, um, and for, two, to just serve as, to serve as leverage. And in this case, maybe even to say, oh, there's so much pressure. Why haven't you touched Rhodes? Well, here's a wrist slap charge, and maybe that'll make Revolver go away. So I want to get into the next, and I think the, yeah. the arguably the most important point in this article, and uh, it's something that I would I know your audience is a huge force multiplier, so definitely read this hot piece, share it. But in particular, I really need the defense counsel, the 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 counsel for these one six conspiracy defendants for the Oath Keepers, I need them to be on top of this because there's a really important point that they need to know. And it could be the matter of life or not life for their, uh, for their uh, defendants and clients. And that is this. That's the issue of discovery and that's the issue of the Brady rule. So in one of the many um, unearthed clips in this revolver piece, we have a clip that's very peculiar of uh, Stuart Rhodes, uh, person one who is very suspiciously not indicted, not even properly searched and everything. We have an interview where he's asked about, well, do you think you'll be prosecuted? What happens if you'll be prosecuted? And he has a very bizarre answer. He, he references, well, if they do come after me, discovery is going to be really interesting. Now, usually people invoke discovery in that capacity in civil cases because there's an opportunity to uncover uh, dirt and communications in the other side of any kind of civil lawsuit. But it's very weird to invoke discovery as something that could protect him in the context of the feds arresting him and charging him for 1-6 crime. That suggests more than suggests that there could be something in the Fed's file drawer on Rhodes that would be very embarrassing to the federal government it would, would come out. Otherwise, it's hard to understand why he would have leverage in discovery. And this brings up a much broader point here, and that is legally the government and the prosecution are required to turn over all potential exculpatory evidence to the defense and that would include um, information about informants, information about undercover agents, and so forth. That's why they don't want to go after people's communications if their informants are undercover agents, because they don't want the obligation to turn these over. Nonetheless, there is this obligation, and I've been very frustrated in seeing how little attention the defense counsel in these Oath Keepers conspiracy cases how little attention they're paying to these Brady obligations and specifically to the possibly exculpatory potential of informants and undercover agents in these cases. And this serves as a 
pretty dramatic contrast to um, the defense counsel in the Michigan case, where the defense counsel is very effectively using the massive infiltration among feds and fed agents um, uh, 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 to his uh, to his case. This is not happening in one six, and I think okay, that really okay, okay. Hold, hold, hold. Back, back, to, back to back this up for a second. Massive infiltration by government agents in the Michigan case. Lay out, make your case there, and you're saying the lawyers, and maybe they're just not up to speed, or the, look, a lot of these. Yeah, guys they're not up money. to speed in many it's, cases. Um, uh, from what I've seen, there's just a lack of a lack of sophistication and a lot of lack of attention in a lot of the cases for these. Uh, for these defense lawyers, which is unfortunate because the stakes are very high. Just the federal infiltration of the Michigan case, just very quickly, because we've, we've gone over this many times, but it's important to emphasize, is that just months before the so-called storming of the Capitol, there was this Michigan kidnapping plot that also involved a plot to storm the Michigan state Capitol. Now, Revolver first reported this in the context of 1-6, and we said, look, this is just littered with informants. When we first reported it, we said five out of the 26 plotters were feds. It later turned out, as BuzzFeed reported of all places, that it's actually 12. So 12 out of 26 people who allegedly plotted this big Michigan Whitmer kidnapping thing that was all over the news and was used to reinforce the same types of just bull narratives about Trump supporters being the next uh, domestic terrorist threat. It turns out that 12 out of the 26 so-called plotters were either informants or undercover agents, and many of them played not just an observational role, but it seems like they played a much more active role of incitement. And the defense counsel for the Michigan defendants is making very good use of the fact that this could be potentially yeah. entrapment and so forth. Yeah. And I'm frustrated that I don't see the same strategy yeah. being used in the 1-6 well, case. We'll have to, we'll have, we'll okay, so here's what he's saying. And I find it very interesting that the, the Whitmer case as well as January 6th were both storming of capitals. What he's saying is that in the Whitmer case, the defense attorney is adeptly using the um, fact that there was uh, informants, it was uh, the FBI that incited this, and they're using the rules of discovery to build a defense. What he's saying as far as January 6th, the lawyers are not doing the same thing. Now, this might explain why there was such lack security and why the cops were literally letting people in there is um video where it says okay so there's a short clip one of the individuals in the video um and this is on at the epoch times i'll have all of these uh links in the show notes but um it says uh, his name is jacob chansley and he's known as the q uh, shaman, he faced you know charges. He pled guilty, literally, but uh, later. But he is telling the protesters this has to be peaceful. But we have the right to peacefully assemble. Well, they don't have the right to go into the Capitol building. However, listen to this: 
One protester says the police here are willing to work with us and cooperate peacefully like our First Amendment allows and said that they want to peacefully discuss what needs to be done to save our country. So, uh, and you can watch the video, but I mean, it's literally the cops let these people in and guided them into the chamber. Uh, and then we have at the Gateway Pundit, new security footage from January 6th shows police, Capitol Police officers herding protesters inside as they enter the Capitol, and then they stood back. I saw this as well. I mean, it was amazing how they were just guiding them around and letting them in. And so, and, and, and the point is that instead of showing, quote, a raucous gang of violent white supremacists busting through the doors and windows like the media claims, the crowd calmly files into a line and walks into the building as uh, Capitol Police officers herd them inside. So again, I will have um, uh, this link as well, Gateway Pundit reporting on this. Uh, it says at the very beginning of the video, the crowd stops moving forward when the officers arrive, almost as if they're asking for permission to enter. When the cops walk by and let them pass, the crowd continues flowing inside. In a later part of the video, police have successfully bottlenecked the crowd at the first entrance, preventing anyone else from getting in. Then out of nowhere, one of the officers leans into the others and they begin to walk the crowd into the building, leaving the entrance completely unattended. I mean, it's on and on and on. And, uh, and then you'll see where the people that actually broke into the building, a lot of them, uh, which we'll get into, they disappear. They're the ones that change their clothes. Um, but they were actually um, provocateurs. So there's no violence. The Trump supporters were peaceful, orderly. They left the building when they were asked to. They were hesitant to enter until they got the go-ahead by police officers. So that's why, you know, we're discussing this because, you know, it seems like there is a lot of stuff that is going on by our federal government to basically get people in trouble. Um, there's also a, a BuzzFeed. I've got, again, the link will be in the show notes, but Michigan's attorney general says the men accused in the Whitmer kidnapping plot weren't Entrapped. Well, they actually were, uh, but here's the thing. Let me see. I think this is a quote from the uh, one of the attorneys. The record is clear that, but for the FBI through their informant inviting Adam Fox into this group, charges would have never been brought against the defendants. Beller's attorney Andrew Kirkpatrick wrote in his entrapment brief, which was filed in July. But the Attorney General's office sharply disagreed, calling in a 24-page brief signed by Nestle for District Court Judge Thomas Wilson to hold a hearing on the question of entrapment and then dismiss the notion, uh, the, the motions. But here's what I want you to hear. It says, Dan and the government agents working with him did nothing but watch and monitor as the relationship between Fox and the Wolverine Watchmen and these three defendants in particular moved on from the initial contact phase into a full-blown alliance in which the Wolverine Watchmen were training with and supporting Fox's plans for politically motivated violence. So did you get that? They said government agents were working with him. They're trying to minimize the government agent's role 
as doing nothing but watching and monitoring where the defendants are like, no, that's not all they did. They actually have the ringleader was the government agent, and that's the person who was inciting the violence. So does this mean that the people involved should have gone with the plan? No. But again, we have laws on entrapment. You cannot incite other people uh, to break the law and then arrest them. Because the question can't be answered definitively if the defendants would have devised or carried out a plot if they had not been incited to do so by law enforcement. It doesn't make them innocent of criminal activity or being stupid, but it's illegal to entrap. And so next week, I'm going to play the the false flag part um, of this entire situation. But we've got to wake up, people. We have to wake up. I'm not an alarmist. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. But I am definitely seeing a pattern where the government is weaponizing all the alphabet or organizations, federal organizations, against the American people. Until next week, God bless America.